0: Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant,
1: necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life.
0: Coaches, welcome back in. This is season two, episode three of Essential Coaching Conversations. Kyle. We are back on the mic, and we were commenting in the pre-show that it felt feels like it's been like a month since we've been sitting in our respective recording spaces at our homes. Uh, literally did this a week ago, and so much has happened in the span of a week, and, you know, we just had our first day of school today, just, you know, really grateful that all of our players had a great day, all of our new players are are feeling like they're you know they belong and it's it's a good decision that they made to come to us um but yeah man it's it's been like a whirlwind last week it feels like it honestly does feel like a month did we miss a week of recording and we just don't know it like i don't know i'm, I'm asking i don't know
1: i wouldn't i am be shocked if we did but that's that's really what it felt like that yeah. it's been it's only been a week but it, it was that was one heck of a week and a lot going on and you going back to school and we had our first football game and just a lot of newness mm-hmm. and a lot of things to get done and figure out. And, um, it really was, it was a week that felt like a month. Like it was a, it was a month worth of stuff packed into a week. And my, I was talking with my brother about us going into that week and we had our first home events at, at tech and we had a soccer match and this, this, um, event on Friday and our football game on saturday and another soccer match on sunday and he was like i'm gonna set the over hour on the hours work this week at 68 and a half and i was like
0: over yeah
1: and i was like i think i'm gonna hover around 75 and i was 75 on the nose going back and kind of totaling it up and we had a schedule change on friday that actually got me home earlier and it was like we would have been at 80 hours yeah in in that week which you know kind of sounds insane but at the same time like it was a ton of fun too. I mean, it was, it was, it was awesome. Um, Just getting to experience all kinds of really cool new things that I've never gotten to do before. And I think it's, I don't think people get to say that a lot in their lives, especially when they're, you know, in their late thirties and, you know, you're married with kids and all these things. It's a lot of just kind of the same thing over and over again. And it feels like the last month or so has been a really great, amazing journey to, literally get to experience things that you've never gotten to experience ever before in your life. Uh, and so that's been, it's been exhausting. It's been scary. Uh, it's been stressful, but at the same time, it's been extremely exciting and invigorating. And, you know, you you get to getting to do something like that. You, you want to make sure you kind of take a second to appreciate it, you know, standing on a, on a division one football field in a national television broadcast kind of helping run the show and getting to celebrate in the locker and you're just getting to do things that, that not a lot of people get to do first off, but something that two years ago, you'd never think you'd be doing. And you just want to kind of take some stock of it and enjoy it. Um, but I, I always, when we, when we decide, Hey, this is, this is studio night. You you always know that we're going to get to come in here Take a little bit of a deep breath, get to catch up with each other, talk about life. And and then, you know, hopefully have a really great conversation that people get some value out of.
0: I think it's it's a grounding thing, right? Where we know, hey, this is when we're doing it. And no matter what the craziness is, no matter whether it was a very hot and sweaty day at school and you're just like, you know, you you're preparing yourself for the next day. And, you know, it's just it is a grounding thing. And to hear the stories of what's happened, even we didn't have enough time to get into all of it. But, you know, I don't I don't miss the college athletics life, but I also miss the college athletics life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Because it's that, you know, especially from the, the admin point of view and game staff point of view, not necessarily the coaching piece, but like being a support person. And this was a topic we had actually talked about talking about anyway, was that skilled staff idea, right? not just sports mm-hmm. staff but skilled staff, and what their game day is like um which I think we should still talk about, but yeah, uh, totally agree you know i do I do definitely miss that in, in a very like sick and twisted sort of way, right like oh, it's yeah. a glutton for punishment type of thing, um but anyway, yeah, so. Let's, uh, let's jump in with our, our athlete shout outs. Um, Kyle, I'll let you go first here. Who is your athlete for episode three?
1: Well, you would, you know, we've talked about before how we've never had the same person and you were like, oh, we're probably going to have the same person. And I was like, eh, I doubt it. I'm going to be extremely shocked, uh, if we have the same athlete today, <laughs> okay. um, but I'm I'm going with a guy from a little place called Cutoff Louisiana.
0: Okay, we don't de we definitely do not have the same person
1: then. Don't have the same person. Cutoff Louisiana went to Northwestern State University, undrafted quarterback back in nineteen eighty three, a guy by the name of Bobby Joseph Aber. Bobby Hebert, Bobby Aber was the quarterback in the USFL, ended up getting going into the NFL undrafted, played for the New Orleans Saints. And then played for the Falcons. And he had the the first, I think, winning season of the best season in, in Saints franchise history. First quarterback, I think, that took them to the playoffs. Um, but it's not every day you get to come on and talk about a guy from a little place called Cutoff Louisiana and Lafouche all the way down in the 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 very, very bottom of the boot. Um, so yeah, this is the Bobby A episode.
0: That may be the most obscure reference you've made since we started doing this
1: not uh, if you're from not if you're from South LaFouche High School.
0: That's that's very true. I'm sure there's an entire wall dedicated to Bobby Aber at that particular high school. Um, you know, Shannon, if you're listening, if you know who Bobby Aber is, please let us know cuz I have no idea who that is. Um,
1: USFL champion. He was the MVP of the league before he came into the NFL. Uh, played um played for the Michigan Panthers. I think they were. Um, went to a couple of playoff games in the NFL. I don't think he ever won a playoff game, but, you know, Saints, I like to beat up on my Saints fans here. They've been bad for a really long time. Um, yeah. and he, so, like, he...
0: to that point, hold on, but to that point, can we just talk about how, like, Archie Manning gets deified and this man, like, never won anything in the NFL? Yeah. I don't get that. I don't understand that. I'm I might be crazy, but, like, I don't understand that.
1: Yeah, they went. I mean, and and this was back when I was a kid. So I remember like local radio in Louisiana hearing about Bobby, and he's a, a radio personality now. He's like the Bobby oh, okay. Bear Show, I think, down down in, in in Baton Rouge, New Orleans. If they went twelve and four, I think it was nineteen ninety two, and um, then he ended up going to um, going to Atlanta and I made a Pro Bowl and just kind of had a kind of one of those weird, kind of obscure careers that nobody really knows about. But he's in the Saints Hall of Fame um for kind of putting them on the map uh i guess for the first time but um yeah shout out to cut off louisiana
0: cut off louisiana well i'm going to go with um probably to, in my estimation probably the most evolved basketball player i can think of in the last 20 years and that's Candace Parker CP3 the real CP3 um and just her impact on how basketball is played, I think is very underrated, and you know the way things ended with her and u s a basketball and the fact that I mean obviously she's hurt right now, but just still playing at such a high level with such a long career and the ups and downs and all that like Candace Parker has legitimately changed how basketball is viewed and taught and coached um and not like and I'm Intentionally not just saying women's basketball, like I think Candace Parker set the table for this positionless movement that we see, and i don't I'm not sure how many coaches of boys and men would say that um because maybe they're not true scholars of the game, but some of the things that she's been able to do, and not just in the pros but even when she was at Tennessee, like just ch- absolutely changed the game. And how we thought of players that were over six foot in women's basketball, taller players, players who had tremendous length and skill, and she defied sort of the idea that if you're six four you have to play back to the basket, right and she was one of the the earliest women to dunk and dunk repeatedly, and like just really the impact she's had on the game is so outsized um And it's it continues. Right. I think she's in like her 20th year or something like that. She's been around for a long time, but not slowing down. Hopefully anytime soon. She's playing with my Las Vegas aces now um, and she's hurt, which is unfortunate. But, you know, get well soon. And Candace Parker. So this is the the Bobby a bear, Candace Parker, or maybe we can call her Candace Parquet, you know, like a bear, a bear, bull bear. Right. Uh, just to, to keep it on brand with the Louisiana thing, but no Candace Parker and Bobby a bear, you are our, um, athlete shout outs of the day two
1: no. two first. So a bear was the first to make the playoffs for the saints. And, and Candace was the first, uh, female to dunk in an NCAA tournament game. So you go. a little bit of crossover where you probably wouldn't expect it. And I, I think another thing I remember about her from Tennessee is they actually listed her on the roster. As a forward, a guard, and a center.
0: Mm -hmm. I think she was the first like F slash G slash C on the roster. I think she was the first one. Fun fact, that dunk was at my alma mater, Old Dominion University.
1: Okay. Just letting you know.
0: We hosted the NCAA tournament the first two rounds that year.
1: Yeah, I got you. That was uh, was against Army. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it
0: was at the Norfolk Scope.
1: Yeah, I and the, Maybe, the, she, maybe
0: the, the Chartway Arena, which was the Constance Center, maybe that had already been built, but it was at Old Dominion. We were the host school for that.
1: And she dunked twice in that game? Maybe. Am I crazy? I think she was the first person to dunk twice in a game as well. I want to say she did she it. In might game. I could be wrong about that, but I, I do remember that being another um, kind of thing on her resume. And, and it, her resume is unreal. I mean, if you go look her up, I mean, it's mm-hmm. just you're just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling through everything that she's been able to do. and.
0: Probably the, most, one, the most decorated American basketball player, maybe yeah. the most decorated basketball player of all time.
1: Yeah, very very impressive. Um, obviously, growing up as a Texas fan, Tennessee was, you know, the nemesis of them in Old Dominion and um, North Carolina. But uh, hard not to respect Candace back in those days, and um, definitely amazing that she's still. I mean, outside of you know being injured right now, like still one of the best players in the league. Very very impressive. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Not um, from cut off Louisiana. Absolutely. So, so Kyle, you had a really good. Um, would you rather? And I think that this would you rather holds special significance, especially for the topic of today's episode being about how parents impact winning. Um, and I think it's actually would be a great question for any parents who listen to this to honestly assess about their kids about this would you rather and Kyle go ahead you take it away
2: yeah it uh sort of
1: made me think about this from from the last one I'm like would you rather be that when you did the curler or the wrestler and uh my brother and I talk about this one in particular quite a bit and I think if we if we you brought up a great point in the in the pre-show about how this could change based on quote-unquote level you know when money gets involved but I think for the the sake of most people that are probably listening to this, let's keep it at least in the in this vein of of a high school athlete. No money is exchanging hands here and 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 you're right. I do think it plays well into parents impacting winning because it would be great to hear uh how how parents would answer this question, not just you uh or the athlete themselves, but would you rather be the you know, junior senior who gets to hang out on the varsity team, but never get to play, but your team is going to win a state championship. Or would you rather be the star studded junior or senior that's three or four times all state averaging 30 a game, you know, best player in the gym every, every night, but your team is not winning anything. You never have a winning season. So would you rather be the star studded player who never has a winning season? Or would you rather be the, person who's at the end of the bench winning state championships.
0: I mean, we we already talked about the answer that I think we would both give, and I would take the first one. I'd rather win and be a part of influencing a locker room and winning. And like this is an honest answer, right? Like I was never going to be that growing up. I was never that star studded player, but I'd have given anything to be that guy on the end of the bench that contributed to winning in in some sort of way. Like the Udonis Haslam right or the Jared Dudley that that's what they do right they lead they influence they help the guys get better they help their teammates get better and like maybe they don't get the headlines and the glory but you know where that real appreciation comes from it's from the guys next to you it's from the girls next to you and so i think like you know maybe 15 years ago we would have answered it very differently being in our youth but I'm going to go with that first one. I'd rather be the the dude at the end of the bench that leads the bench mob and impacts winning in that way because those people are just as important as the folks that that are
2: playing the minutes. Yeah, it's hard to think how you would have answered that
1: at 17 years old, right? But I was the kid who played some and then eventually got to play a good bit by the time I was a junior or senior and got to start and all that. But our teams also weren't very good. So I, I had a little bit of both in that. And I remember, you know, when I f- first started head coaching and you're getting beat all the time, like all you want to do is win. Like you would take anything just to be a part and like taste what that is. And I think now, you know, again, being older, there's value in just being around winning because I think you have to learn kind of how to handle losing, but you also have to learn how to handle winning. And um, It would be real, I'd be real hard-pressed to think that, you know, in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, that you wouldn't look back more fondly on championships and just being in that locker room and being around and know you had a part of it versus, yeah, you got buckets left and right. Yeah, you threw for 4,000 yards, but your team went 2-10. and And I think that not only is that there's, there can potentially be somewhat of a knock on a legacy or something there. Like, yeah, you were really good, but did you elevate everybody around you? Maybe the team was just that bad, you know, like you did everything you could and it's not necessarily a knock on like you as a, as a, as a human being or a player or anything like that. But I do think the interesting caveat to that is what would the parent want? Do you as a parent want to sit there and watch your kid sit on the bench and never play but get to see that run? Or do you want to sit in the stands and watch your kid do nothing but pot compile stats but know you're going to get beat every game? Mm-hmm. And if we had to, you know, straw poll the country right now, I think we know what most parents would take. They want to watch their baby carry a ball across the end zone. They want to watch their kid go three for four, hit, A home run and a double, but their team got beat 10 to three. You know, they want their kid in the in the center of all that because you want to watch your kid be successful, but we've had this conversation before. How are you defining success? Are we defining success as only compiling stats? Or are we defining success as a player who is impacting winning? And that kid that's at the end of the bench on a state championship is, is potentially impacting winning in a more positive way than the player who is compiling all of the stats. And it's a it's an incredible segue, I think, into talking about how parents impact winning. And so if you have it again, sort of our weekly reminder, like go back into the into the vault here. And listen to the couple previous episodes in this series on how we feel players impact winning. And it's not just stat driven, how coaches impact winning. It's not just adjustments and the game plan that you're putting in, it goes so much deeper than that. And then we can talk about how parents are impacting winning and not to be a pessimistic glass half full kind of guy. But I think most parents, I think all parents impact winning in some form or fashion, but I think the vast majority of them. Fake statistic here. Ninety percent of them are impacting it in a negative way, as opposed to a positive way. How many parents are really sitting there cheering on the other kid, just like they do theirs, when the other kid is the one getting all the glory? And I just think that's rare, especially nowadays. And we we really hammer and talk a lot about quote unquote kids these days, when we could have a really good conversation on parents these days.
0: Well, I say we have that conversation and really think about. You know, we and, and again, a weekly reminder that impact is a neutral term, right? Impact doesn't care whether it's positive or negative, but there is always going to be an impact. It cannot be that you have no impact on something. And by and large, I would say that the interactions with parents who want to impact winning are largely very
2: positive like parents that want the team to be successful. It is when I think
0: the parent has designs that it doesn't matter whether the team is successful, it matters whether their kid impacts their future. That's when we have the issue and sort of the... the the misalignment and the incongruence about what impacting winning actually means. And I would say above all of the categories that we've covered in our impacting winning series, I would put parents up there as some of the most impactful, if not the most impactful, especially in a youth setting. So again, I I've said this before. I count high school sports as youth sports. In a youth setting, so that's high school and below. It's sort of a cop-out to say that coaches spend more time with people's kids than parents do. Because I think that's actually like patently false. Especially when kids can't drive. Or kids aren't allowed to drive. So, you know, they're
2: a boarding student at a boarding school, whatever it is. That car ride home as cliche as it sounds, is something that kids dread because they know that they're going to hear it one way or the other. And that impacts winning more than anything we do in practice.
0: It, It just does. And I, I think about this a lot, and I actually said this to a colleague of mine the other day, and I'm probably going to get this, this wrong, but the, the general sentiment is the same. So there's this old uh, this old story, and, uh, you know, for those that are familiar with like the movie Aladdin, right? Aladdin is one of these the thousand tales of Alibaba, right? Alibaba had a thousand tales, so, so on and so forth. And where that comes from, and this is one of them as well, is that there was this woman who had sort of, I think she had been kidnapped by a king and was being forced to marry him. And she made a deal with the king and said, listen, I will weave this tapestry. And when I'm finished, then we can get married.
2: And she would, you know,
0: weave all day this beautiful tapestry. And then nightfall would come, and she would tell one of these thousand stories to the king. And after he fell asleep, she would unweave and she would undo most of the work that she did on the tapestry, so she would never be finished. That story, and again, I don't remember what it's called, I think it's like the tale of Scheherazade, maybe, but anyway. That story is the exact same thing that happens in made-up statistic 90% of households. Where we as coaches think we are doing really, really good work, we're making an impact, we're weaving that tapestry for each kid, and we're trying our asses off to make this happen. And when that kid goes home, the undoing of the tapestry starts when they put their butt in a seat in a car. Or when they pick up their phone and there's a message on it already from a parent that doesn't have good boundaries with their kid. And so when we're talking about parents impacting winning and Kyle, you and I have been very upfront about this in our, in both of our careers, we have been railroaded by parents. Both of us have gone through that. That's what bonded us, right? Honestly, Mm -hmm. that, that, and, not really understanding what to do with the read-and-react offense at a certain point because it didn't really, like, help us, right? And it's not coming from a place of bitterness. It's coming from a place of disbelief.
2: That, you know, six years later,
0: in our relationship, we are still talking about this and trying to solve the puzzle of helping parents helping our players help their parents, helping our administrators help parents learn how they can impact winning positively.
2: And it's a
0: noble and worthwhile goal to have. And again, by and large, 95% of the parents, totally great. But that 5%, has an outsized impact just like Candace Parker does on the whole history of basketball. They have an outsized impact on winning and it is generally extremely negative. So much so that in my experience when parents are not allowed to come to events because that's the like them's the rules, right? Like we had this NEPSAC event over the summer, you know, there's some events where parents aren't allowed like showcases or camps and stuff like that. Kids Play better, number one. Number two, they openly are thankful for the fact that their parent can't come watch them play. And number three, they actually engage with their teammates way more and become a better teammate, seemingly overnight, simply because somebody is not sitting in the stands. That is a direct impact on winning. Because what did we say last week about what it is that how players impact winning the most? It was that E word. It was engagement. Simply by the parent not being there, the player was more engaged, which impacts winning positively. Thus, as a science teacher, if that's the hypothesis, what conclusion can we draw?
2: So I think where we probably need to move. This is like, what do we,
1: what do we do about it? Right. Right. Like, what are the, what are the options? And and are most parents even aware that they're impacting winning, you know, or if we can sort of reframe it in that, in that kind of way, and not just from their own, you know, kids performance, but other players on the team to the, the team as a whole, when you have, when they're going back and you're unraveling that, right. Like, I bring it back to entropy. The entropy is going to be there regardless of whether we do anything or not. So we have to fight it. We have to combat it. The one thing we don't want to do is add to it. And every time we go through and we unravel that tapestry, we're essentially intentionally adding back to the issues that we're going to have. And every time we do that, it becomes that much harder to move forward. So this is where I think it's a great opportunity to sort of pivot that conversation to like, well, what can we do to help our parents positively impact winning? For their child, for the rest of the children on the team, and then for us as an entire entire program. And I, I don't think anybody who knows us is going to be shocked to hear us talk about it. it's going to come down to recruiting and relationships. You have to recruit everyone every day, and that includes the parents in your program. If you're one of those that says, I'm not going to talk about playing time, and I don't talk to parents, it's like, yeah, you can get away with that at a certain point, And you can cut that out and pretend those problems don't exist. But again, to steal one of my wife's favorite phrases, denial is not a cure. Just because we pretend like that problem and that stuff isn't going on in the stands, just because we pretend like that ride home is not happening, we can ignore it for long enough, doesn't mean that it's not happening. It doesn't mean that it's still not negatively affecting you in some kind of a way. It may not just have resulted itself into a loss on the scoreboard yet, but at some point unfinished business is going to come out. And so why are we not doing everything we can to combat that up front? And then at the end of the day, I think that's how we go to sleep at night. I can I can go to sleep at night knowing that I did what I could. Even going back to our weekend, you know, with the football game, like there were things that we screwed up. But all of us rested easy because we knew we had put in the work that we needed to do and we got the result that we deserved. Even with the the hiccups here and there. And it, but but you're putting in the the necessary energy to fight that entropy on the front end and not just hoping that things are going to work out. And this is where I feel like I, I've learned a ton from you in terms of having to go reach those parents, because I was the person that just thought, no, nah, I'll just ignore them. I'll just pretend like they're not there. But the more you pretend they're not there, the, the more aggressively they're going to come find you to the point where they are grabbing you on the court after a game, after a loss and confronting you about certain things. And it turns into a scene. And thank goodness, 12, 15 years ago, there were no iPhones, you know, putting things on Instagram, those kinds of things. But like you're one moment away from something like that happening. So what are we doing about it? And again, this is, I, I credit you for sort of changing my mindset on a lot of this stuff with Things like parent newsletters, parent retreats, treating parents like they are a part of the program, treating them, not treating them like they're kids, but treating like they're the their athletes too. How can they come in? How can we recruit them? What are some things that we can do and talk about? Because most times a lot of those things in any sort of organization, a lot of the, the misunderstanding is not a misunderstanding of what should take place or what's right or wrong. It's the misunderstanding of the communication and the reason behind it. And so we need to go ahead and get out on that on, out, up front. And most coaches would say, well, I don't have time for that. We barely have enough time to practice with our kids. And yes, that's right. We probably barely do. But what, the work we don't do in August is going to come back and bite us tenfold in November, December, February, or next August. Because that sophomore parent that was a little bit of an issue that we sort of ignored, now their kid's a junior. They're an upperclassman. They're expecting certain things because their kid is a quote unquote leader now because they're older. They didn't get better. They just got older. And with becoming older, that should come with it. Some sense of entitlement, some sense of playing time, some sense of accolades, some sense of, of greater responsibility on the team, whether they deserve it, earn it, or should have it. So what are we going to do? Not to, not, not use the word combat in like a combative or negative way, but like, what are we going to do to combat that energy? And I think this would be a great time to kind of throw it back to you and just kind of go through a little bit of your philosophy in how you start to, to win parents over. And again, not in a disingenuous way, like you have to be very authentic about this stuff too, but what are we doing to sort of create that bridge and open up that communication to not fix every problem? Cause that's not going to happen. But if we can fix 20%, 30%, half of our problems, that's creating some bandwidth to take care of those things that possibly arise when we're not ready for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's really high praise coming from you. I feel like I learned a lot, especially from you in in terms of even how, like, as Kendall has been growing up, just observing how you've operated as a parent with school things and with with teachers and things like that, like, that's been really um, influential in how I try to work with parents, not against, not against them. Um, and I think what's really difficult sometimes too, and coaches, you'll probably nod along, uh, when I'm saying this is like, generally the kids are amazing, right? They're usually don't have a lot of turds on your team. But it's very difficult when that email comes through or that phone call comes through or you get the glares after the game and all that stuff to separate the kid from the parent. And so I think when we're thinking about impacting winning, and this is where like, you know, parents, we just, we just talked about the car ride home, but that type of body language, that type of those type of actions, things like that, like that has a direct impact on winning because it's a distraction. And so I think when you're thinking about strategies, the most important thing, and we've said this about our teams too, I think every coach says this at some point during the season is like, we have to limit our distractions and eliminate distractions, right? We've heard that numerous times. And I think in a manner of speaking, and this is not trying to like shit on parents at all, but In this day and age, in youth sports and even in college sports, like just throw it all together. Even in pro sports, you see like Lonzo Ball's dad, you see uh, Ja Morant's dad, right? Like these crazy people who are just like they're
2: doing too much. the The
0: process of eliminating distraction, I think of it like the same way you try to distract a kid or a dog and eliminate them from doing something destructive. You have to give them a job. Right? And you got to make it think, make them think it's their idea. And that's not a deceptive thing. It is, here's how we're going to stack the deck. Hey, I'm going to communicate with you regularly and give you small tasks to do. Asking for volunteers. Asking for you know, an involvement in the program, but then also consistently messaging. This is purely optional. This has no bearing on your child's playing time. Just because you volunteered doesn't mean your kid's going to play an extra four minutes tonight. This is what's best for the program because it eliminates the distractions of me having to figure out who's going to run the concession stand. It eliminates the distractions of figuring out who's going to provide pregame meal. And so if we start to treat these relationships with parents as eliminating distractions, but also as just sort of something you do in your normal sort of operations of a program, all of a sudden it doesn't become such an imposing task to write a weekly email with some information in it. All of a sudden it doesn't become such an imposing task to say hello to parents on a game day. Because we've already made that next connection. And by and large, most people, when you are making that next connection fairly regularly, will give you the benefit of the doubt. I say most people because it shouldn't even be most people. i say some people. But over the course of time, as you are congruent to what you said you were going to do, that develops trust. And those distractions start to go away. Now, they could be replaced by other things, right? They could be replaced by plenty of other things. But if we're talking about parents and their impact on winning, and we've already specified how that negative impact on winning can happen, it's sort of incumbent on you as the coach and not to put the player in the middle of it, it's incumbent on you as the coach to bring parents in, especially this generation of parents, right? We talk about this generation of kids, like this generation of parents needs to be brought in. And I think that's where a lot of coaches fail. And listen, me, I myself am exhibit a example. Number one, I I'm not above any of it, right? I still have parent issues. Everybody has parent issues, but the reality is If you can keep 99% of them on the right track, it's much easier to deal with the 1%. If the 1% becomes the 99%, now we're in in deep shit. And so how we stack the deck to sort of like keep that dam from flooding, because it can flood and it will flood with this generation of parents. There's got to be more than just a preseason parent meeting. These are my expectations take it or leave it, done and done. Right. That, that's my opinion. There are coaches that are very successful doing it that way. I see that a lot more in boys' sports than I do in girls' sports. Right. I think there's just maybe some inherent differences. I don't know. I don't have all the facts, and I haven't coached boys in, I don't know, over 10 years. I don't remember what it's like to coach boys, and I really don't want to. I love coaching girls and women, but there is something different about girls and women's parents that and, and again, I'm not I don't know what it is, but there needs to be more. And I think boys coaches who coach boys can take a lesson from how we approach that with girls and women's parents just by virtue of the fact that that was the testing ground for me um, in helping develop some of those healthy manhood traits that Kip talks about and avoiding some of that toxic masculinity of having to be the man and trying to be him. And, you know, I got to get mine and all of that stuff, right? Like we can learn to do those things differently, but it's not going to happen just by the coach saying it. It's got to be echoed by the parents. And so the only way to do that is to recruit them in and really make them feel like it was their idea by asking the right questions. And, you know, we've talked about our parent retreat before. We don't need to like, rehash all of that. You can go back into some of the older episodes and listen to that piece, but I think those are the questions that need to be asked of parents. And you need to get honest answers. And so those things start in the recruiting process. So even if you're not a coach that can go out and sign your own players, start asking your youth the parents of your youth kids those questions about their experience and how they how they envision things working out for their kid. And what are they going to do to support them? but also to understand that they are part of something bigger than them. And the last thing I'll say, and then I'll throw it to you, it's a very common phraseology, but I think it's, it bears repeating, and I think it's kind of the central tenet of all of this. When parents think about the sport experience, they think about their child's sport experience. When coaches think about the sport experience, they think about every child's sport experience. So while you might have one kid to worry about on this team, I might have 120 if I'm a football coach. I'm not making decisions based on what your little Johnny or your little Susie wants, or what you want for them. We have to balance the needs of the few against the needs of the many. And sometimes that doesn't work out for you and your kid. You have to be okay with that.
2: How many parents, if they hear that in a meeting, they all kind of nod along like, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, they bobblehead
0: yeah. the shit out of it. They bobblehead Bobble, the- bobble, bobble. But they're yeah.
1: not, you're not talking to me, though. Right. Because I'm not the problem. That's <laughs> so-and-so is the problem. And you talking about You know, giving them team meal and this and that, that reminded me of a a phrase that our pediatrician told us when Kendall was, you know, a year old, two years old, going into these, you know, annual checkups and whatnot. She said, distraction is a form of discipline. So when Kendall gets fussy, when she's doing something she's not supposed to do, when she's kind of acting up in public, you know, you're sitting in church and she's going kind of nuts try to distract her. That is a form of discipline. And I'm not comparing parents to little babies. Don't get me wrong here.
2: But that, that I, guess, I guess you could. That reminded me of that in that it's not a form of punishment.
1: And there's lots of different ways we could sort of talk about what discipline is and what it means. And we've been kind of gone down that road. But that's something that, that kind of brought me back to that when you were talking about that is like, okay, no, I can't change that parent's values. I can't change who they are as a person. I'm not going to win them over and all of a sudden make them think, you know, less of their kid in their eyes or anything like that. But are there certain things we can do to change or or tweak their behavior? And, you know, when you're, if you're sitting in the back of church or you're in a store or at a restaurant and your kids start going crazy. And distraction can become a form of discipline. Yeah, you don't want them to do that in the first place. But in some ways, like we just kind of need to get out of church. (laughs) You know, we need to get out of here before we make a scene. We need to get out of here so we can take some time to, to talk about this in a different setting or give them some time to mature a little bit. And I mean, we still do that with with Kendall, even being like seven and a half years old, because sometimes kids are kids. Right. Like they're just going to they're going to be that way at some times. And I remember doing that in class a lot with my seventh and eighth graders and even the seniors that I that I taught, even in practice. You know, we're getting a little. All right. What can we do to mentally transition them into something else? And that to me is a form of distraction, which is a form of discipline. And that's where you as the as the leader, as the boss, as the coach, as the teacher, that's you being the CEO. That's you being the chief environmental officer. That's you being able to read the room, having the awareness to understand what's going on and sort of make those adjustments, those those split-second decisions, calling the audible to be able to m- manipulate or move things into a different direction. And so here we are again talking about climate and climate over culture. Your culture can be what you ever you put in your handbook at that one parent meeting you have in August, and then you put that thing back in the the... Filing cabinet, and you don't look at it again until next August when it's time to dust it off. But your ability to continually recruit, to continually make decisions, to continually connect, create touch points, and maybe have to throw in some distraction here and there to get things back on track, that's you being the CEO, the person that's in charge of that climate. And I feel like that's where... I know this is an episode is, is really kind of about parents here, but if we could throw it back to us as coaches, what are we doing to help guide those situations and potentially diffuse a situation? And and again, you and I have both been, I'll call it what it is, attacked Mm -hmm. on the court after a game. You know, you have a decision in that moment, like, all right, I need to, I'm either going to bow back up and kind of get after it. And you're one second away from saying something, doing something, something happened and getting fired, or I need to be able to distract my way out of this and use that form of discipline to just to kind of survive this moment. And we'll live to kind of fight another day. We'll live to kind of handle that. Maybe there's some lesson that we learn in that moment to help us when the next time arises. Maybe there's something we learn in that moment to make sure that next time doesn't doesn't happen. And it may just be our, our post-game operations and logistically how we get where we need to. And I don't think that's a form of not paying attention to these potential issues or relying on hope or anything like that. I think you're being very intentional about not putting yourself or other players in these potential situations. And hopefully you don't ever have to deal with some of that. And again, to your point, we can sit here and do all of these things. We can do everything quote unquote, right. We're still going to have issues at some point in time. There is no such thing as a utopian program. There is no such thing as somebody who's not upset. And a lot of times they're there, you know, we have parents that are your team wins the state championship and parents are mad because their kid wasn't on the floor mm-hmm. didn't get this or didn't get that. And you've got to be able to navigate it and, Again, you, I think part of it, the hard part is understanding and sort of accepting or swallowing the fact that you're not going to reach everyone. And and in some ways it almost feels like you're, you know, maybe admitting defeat. I think that's what a lot of young coaches think is that we have to either completely ignore parents altogether, or we have to win 100% of them over. There is no real middle ground. And I think at some point you just, you kind of get to a point where again, like you can sleep at night because you feel like you. Stack the deck in your favor as much as you possibly could. And you kind of know that you're gonna win some, you're gonna lose some, but at the end of the day, you you did everything that you could in the best interest of yourself,
2: each individual player, and then the program as a whole. So I
0: I think that sort of leads us to the next transition in this conversation about what are the parents' responsibilities? Like if we had to write a sport parent rights and responsibilities thing like a document right what would be the top three responsibilities that a sport parent has to has to like exhibit or has to take on in order to be allowed to watch their kid play right let's let's call it what it is like that's that's the carrot right you get to watch your kid play To watch a kid participate in something they love to do, but more and more we're seeing that parents impact winning negatively, and those are the ones that make headlines, right? Nobody, nobody talks about little Johnny's mom or little Johnny or little Susie's dad, who never says a word that's not encouraging to all the kids, gives kids rides home if they need it you know, goes out of their way to make sure that everything's good and like cheers for all the kids, right? Those, those parents don't make headlines. They're exhibiting those rights and
2: responsibilities and all that stuff. But for the ones
0: that do, that have a bigger negative impact on winning, what would be the things that we need them to do to start impacting winning positively?
2: I
1: think the number one word you're going to get there in one of those top two or three things is respect. There's going to be some line in there about how you have to be respectful of officials, respectful of other parents, respect the game and yada, yada. But then do we take the time to define what respect means? Do we go through this, this a process to figure out, you know, what you would do with your athletes? We're going to, we're going to talk about standard setting with parents. What does respect mean to you? Is it simply not standing up and yelling a bunch of cuss words at kids? And then we don't do that during the game, but then we do it in the car ride home where we talk badly and negatively about the coach. It's not just being respectful at the event in front of other people. It's sort of the, you know, while nobody's watching kind of thing.
2: What types of of conversation are we having?
1: Repeatability of the habit, regardless of where you are. And then when your kid decides, "Hey, I'm going to start talking about somebody," or another parent starts talking about, "Hey, I'm going to you know start bringing up somebody else or whatever," do you have the discipline and the you know kind of
2: distracted
1: maybe in that moment to get yourself out of that situation? So if we're going to standard hack here with parents, let's define what respect means. And again, it doesn't mean just not acting a fool at the game. that would be that very low bar of character.
2: Mm-hmm. right?
1: The definition of character just meaning, well, I'm not going to do something negative. No, it's actively doing the right thing. It's actively doing the positive thing. It's you as a parent, heating the cheese. It's you as a parent actively seeking out, searching out, doing the right thing. So when that one parent starts to chirp up, you're like, no, that's not what we do here. When your kid starts to bring something up in the cart, nope, that's not what we do here. And I think I've told this story before. Like I don't, I didn't realize my parents didn't agree with my coaches on things because I never heard them say anything about it. I was in my late 20s, the first time I ever heard something negative from a parent about one of my coaches. I just always assumed that my coaches were doing the right thing because my parents thought they were doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Now, they probably thought I should have played more and all those things like parents do, but I never heard it. So it never creeped into my mind that maybe I should be playing more. I wanted to play more. I thought I should play more, but it was like, well, you need to get in the gym and work. You need to learn how to shoot You're five foot 10 and a half. You're not very fast. You're not going to lock anybody down. You can't dribble. (laughs) Like you can't, you're going to have to figure out a way to contribute and impact winning in your own way. And I feel like that was their way of impacting winning
2: was by continually forcing me to figure out how I should impact winning. And I, I don't know how often that happens in that way or the reverse. Like It's so easy to
1: not have the discipline to say the thing you want to say, right? So I think a lot of it comes down to, you can think it, even as a parent, you can think those things, but is there sort of the the character and the, the repeatability of the positive habit where the positive habit is just simply not saying everything that's coming through your head?
0: And not and it's sort of not like spiraling in a manic way and like jumping to conclusions before you've asked the right questions. Yes. Right? Like So I, I will take what you said and I will take it one step further. I think the in vogue thing to do to demonstrate that you're a really good sport parent that cares about the team and winning and all that stuff. And again, we're not talking about just winning on the scoreboard, right? We're talking about winning as a whole. So yes, winning on the scoreboard is part of it, but we also can define winning as the way that we interact with each other. We can define winning by having a, an incredible climate, incredible culture. We're building towards something. Not every team can win every game they play. It's just not going to happen. There are very, very few teams that go undefeated and win championships. There's only one team at the end of the season that gets to hang a banner. Right, So we've got to impact winning in a multitude of ways. But the way that I'm going to raise what you said is I think the foundation you just laid about respect and all that is phenomenal.
2: The in Vogue thing that I think a lot of
0: parents lean on is when their kid comes to them and says, I want to play more, this is unfair, whatever. The thing they do is say, well, go talk to the coach about it. I don't think that's the right approach. Here's why I say that. And this may be controversial, but I don't really care. It's our podcast. We'd say whatever we want. Even before you step into your coach's office or approach them about playing time, whatever it is, it's usually playing time. I wrote a blog over winter break this past year, so 2022-23
2: about rocking the break parents, stop telling your kid just to go talk to the coach instead, ask them the questions that are in that blog post are you doing the things you need to do in order to be the best you can be
0: Hey, what did you eat today? How much have you slept? How much have you communicated with your teammates? Do your teammates even like playing with you? Do you demonstrate on a daily basis that you are good enough to play the minutes you think you should be playing? If parents can start having that conversation even before the kid walks into the coach's office, now we're impacting winning in a positive way. Because it shows a united front. Even if you think, like you said, yeah, my baby should be playing all the minutes.
2: My child is so good.
0: My kid is the best. You can think that. Nobody's saying don't think that. You'd be kind of ridiculous to think that your child's not good at something, right? Like, you you want them to achieve. And we can talk about perfectionism and achievement later. Like I think that's a whole separate topic. We are fully understanding of the fact that parents want what's best for their kids. But not at the expense of what's best for their kids. It's not about the parent winning the Christmas party. It's about the parent winning that conversation at home. You impact winning by having the conversation you know your child is going to have with their coach, when they go talk to them. Give your kid a rep at answering the questions truthfully. Because here's what ends up happening. When the kid comes to the coach and says, Coach, why am I not playing? What's a good coach going to do? Well, why do you think you should be playing more?
2: Tell me more about that.
0: When was the last time you got in the gym and worked on your game? What do you think you need to add to the team in order to help us be successful? Now, if mom slash dad slash guardian slash whoever the adult is in their life that's helping out impact winning on our team, if they just had that conversation before and the kid was able to just be honest with them and say, you know what, the last time I was in the gym was in preseason because all I do is go to practice and go home. Well,
2: do you think you should play more? Well, maybe not.
0: All of a sudden, that kid is able to have a much more salient conversation with the coach if they even need to, or as a parent, you are now actually parenting your child instead of preparing the path for your child by saying, just go talk to the coach and everything will be fine. Or do you want me to talk to the coach? Now you're impacting winning negatively. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that is something that I think like we need to get out of this habit of always running to the coach when we feel that there's something wrong or that we've been slighted or something like that. Like There needs to be a little more self-reflection instead of affirmation at home.